If I'm being honest with you this morning, there are moments in life when I doubt myself. Maybe I'm walking into a hospital room and a family's gone through just an incredible tragedy and everyone turns and looks at me to say the right thing and I have no idea what to say. I walk into a meeting and I know that there's this decision that has to be made and everyone in the room after talking about it, they, they look at me ready for me to make the decision and I have no idea what decision is the right decision. My son, one of them maybe, is going through something in life and he comes to me for advice. And as a dad, I have no idea what to tell him. There are these moments in life where there's this voice inside my head, the voice that, that knows me and understands me maybe the way other people don't, this voice that tells me I'm not good enough, I'm not spiritual enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not as good of a parent or a husband as the other people who have life figured out. There's these feelings of inadequacy or insecurity that I, that I face, and there are times where I think, and I'll just be honest with you, if God really wanted that done, he would find someone else who is much more qualified and gifted than me. I'd be willing to bet I'm not the only one who thinks this at times. Maybe you feel inadequate as a parent, as a spouse, as a, a leader, as an employee, as a boss, as a whatever it is. Maybe there's this voice that tells you that when, when somebody's asking you to do something, you say, yeah, yeah, but I just don't know enough about the Bible. I'm just really not comfortable praying in front of people. Like, I just, I just don't think I'm prepared to share my faith in that way. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ready, I'm not mature enough to lead that group or that ministry or that opportunity. If people knew your past, they wouldn't even ask you, right? If they knew what you had done or who you were, then there's no way they would be asking you to do what they're asking you to do. I think for many of us, we are our own worst enemies. When it comes to the, the life that God kind of wants us to live, this, this life that is kind of the, the abundant life that Jesus talks about, this life that is so good, so overwhelming, and so powerful, when it comes to living that life, I think sometimes, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think sometimes we get in the way with the doubts we have about ourselves and our insecurities. If you are joining us for the first time today, we are in the middle of a series titled Legendary. And whether you're here at the Stafford campus joining us down at Fredericksburg or wherever you happen to be online, we are in the middle of a series where we are doing is we are looking at these kind of key legendary figures from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we're looking at them and we're seeing the life that they lived and these kind of legendary, epic, kind of amazing things that they did. And what we recognize is that week after week, as we look at these different figures, these different people, what we see is they themselves were not legendary in any way whatsoever. In fact, they were ordinary. Some of them felt like nobodies. But what we see is over and over and over again, because of their total and absolute surrender and dependence on God, they did some amazing, incredible, legendary things. And so this morning, we're going to look at one of my favorite figures from the entire Old Testament, a guy by the name of Moses. 
And so if you have your Bibles with you, you're going to want to turn to Exodus chapter 3. If you are maybe kind of new to scripture and you're not sure where to go, Exodus is basically the second book of the Old Testament. So kind of go to the beginning and then maybe like, I don't know, 40, 50 pages, somewhere around there, and you'll find yourself in Exodus. If you are using a YouVersion app, a Bible app, or the Mount app, there are all the scripture references are right there for you. And you can just follow along and even take notes. But we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. And, and while you're turning there, just so we are on the same page for all of us, because maybe we're not familiar with the story of Moses, we're picking up the story in chapter 3 when Moses is around 80 years old. And Moses has been living in this place called the wilderness or the desert for about 40 years now. And you see, Moses found himself in this wilderness place because of something he did in his past when he was in Egypt. You see, Moses, through his history, kind of had this weird relationship in the family that he was born into and how he was raised. But one day, Moses was out going for a walk, and he saw an Egyptian kind of master, an Egyptian slave driver who was abusing and beating and fighting one of his Israelite brothers. And so Moses, in this this moment of anger murdered the Egyptian and then fled and ran and and disappeared into the, the wilderness to become a shepherd. And we find him there after 40 years of living. In Exodus chapter three, we'll pick up in verse one where God calls Moses to something. It says this, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it did not burn up. Verse 3, so Moses thought, huh, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Let's, let's, let's pause here for a minute because I think at times the story of Moses and God kind of nudging him, prompting him, calling him to something, it's hard for us to wrestle with, right? Because we see this story and we're like, dude, this guy's just out farming. He's out taking care of his sheep and a, and a bush catches on fire, but it's not burning. And we're like, man, I've never seen that in my life. But I can guarantee you today that if I go home and one of my crepe myrtles begins to catch on fire but not disappear, I'm going to stop everything and really dive in and focus on maybe what God is trying to show me, right? Because that miracle would grab my attention. And we see this story sometimes, and I think maybe in the back of our mind, we say, yeah, but God doesn't speak like that anymore. Like God doesn't, I've never, I've never met anyone in my 20 years of ministry, my 40 years of life who has said, Adam, dude, I was at home the other day and man, one of my azaleas caught on fire, woo. But you know what? It was still blooming and beautiful and great and it was clearly a sign from the Lord. And so we see this story and we're like, yeah, the, like we're talking about Moses. Like it was a burning bush. That doesn't happen in my life. Let me just give you a couple things about this moment in Moses' life. God has been silent to him for 40 years at this point. Moses did not wake up that morning expecting God to speak. There was no hint. 
There was no, he went to bed and the stars rode out, tomorrow's the day. There was no sign. There was no anticipation. Moses woke up this day like he did every other day of the past 40 years. He woke up, he ate his breakfast, he put on his cloak and his robe, whatever he had, and he went out with his sheep. He went about his daily routine, his normal rhythm of life. And here's what this means for us. Is you might be driving to work. You might be sitting down answering an email. You might be walking to get coffee in the afternoon at the break room. Or you might be lifting the baby out of the crib after a nap. And that might be the moment God chooses to tell you and show you something as part of your normal everyday routine. And it's not always gonna be this big burning bush moment. And you're like, but for Moses it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's what I want you to see. For Moses... The bushes, the things he saw were part of his everyday routine. They were part of his normal life. And so what God is using here is God is using the everyday, the normal, the routine, the things that Moses goes through on a daily basis to get his attention. And I don't know about you, but there are so many times in my life I'm going through my everyday normal routine and I overhear a conversation or I read something or I see something or I observe something and I immediately think, huh, that's interesting. I just wonder, maybe that's the Lord trying to get our attention. You see, because here's the, here's the fascinating part. We, we want like, like, like God talked to Moses, there was this, but Moses saw something, and it wasn't until he stopped and looked that God spoke. And as I read this, I just wonder sometimes, maybe my life and your life, how many God moments are we missing because we don't stop and look? How many things are we so busy moving forward with that even when we feel like we read something in Scripture and we're like, oh, man, like, that's interesting, and we just move right past it instead of stopping, saying, God, what are you trying to say to me? What are you trying to show me? Anyway, verse five continues. So, so Moses sees this burning bush, and he says, what's going on? And, and God says, here I am. You know, or he says, Moses, Moses, and Moses says, here I am. And then verse five continues. God says, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Verse 10, he says so to Moses, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. <laughs> God looks at Moses and he says, listen, here's everything wrong with my people. So just go to Pharaoh and make it right. Like just go to the most powerful guy in the entire known world, in the most powerful country in the entire known world, just you without an army, go and demand or tell him that you want all of the Israelites, all the slaves, all the Hebrews to be set free. 
We read this and we're like, man, that makes perfect sense, right? Like Moses was, he was legendary. Like if anyone's gonna do this, it's gonna be the guy who ends up later like parting the Red Sea, the guy who comes down the mountain with, with these stone tablets. This, this guy's legendary. Surely Moses knows when God asks him to do something, he's gonna do this, he's got this covered. It's no big deal, he's got this. Verse 11, look at, look at Moses' response. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses is like, uh, Lord, Pharaoh, me? Like, I, are you sure? Like, if you think about it, Moses isn't the most logical person. Moses is 80 years old. Now, I know some of you are much older than that, but I'm, I'm younger than that, and 80 does seem old, right? Like, I, I, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but I think most 80-year-olds I talk to would say, yeah, I'm a little bit old. I'm not oldest, but I'm older, right? Like, I get that. And so for Moses, he, he's been, he spent the last 40 years as a shepherd in the desert. Not only that, he is such a failure in this moment. He has spent the last 40 years in the desert and he's 80 years old and he is still living with his father-in-law. He does not have his own house. And, and some of you, you've got a 22-year-old in your basement. <laughs> Moses is 80 in the basement. <laughs> like not, not the guy you're gonna peg as the winner, right? This sun-withered, wrinkled, old guy who is dirty and smelly and takes care of sheep. He probably talks to them. Like, that's a weird thing to do to talk to animals. Like, it just, some of you are farmers. I get it. I don't understand it. But that's what, so he's not the most logical candidate for the job. And so Moses is basically looking at God. When God says, I want you to go to Pharaoh and demand that my people are set free. Moses is like, me? Really? Like, do you see me? Do you, do you know me? Like, I haven't even been to, I haven't even been to Egypt in, in 40 years. Are you sure you got the right guy? You ever felt like that? You ever, you ever had that moment where there's this, like, tug in your heart or this nudge in your gut, and you know God is asking you or pushing you or calling you to something? Maybe it's to help a certain group of people. Maybe it's to, an idea that could make a difference in your workplace or your school or your neighborhood or the world. Whatever it is, it feels like the Lord has kind of put his finger on you and he's, and he's calling you to something and you immediately look up and glance around like, me? Like, you sure you don't mean that guy over there? Like, he's been in church a lot longer than I have. Or what about her? Like, she obviously has her life put together way more than I do. Like, my kids and I were late to church today. Like, are you sure you got the right person, God? You ever had that moment where when you feel God asking you to do something, you're just full of insecurity and it kind of holds you back? I think we all on some level have moments where we feel insignificant, right? We have moments where we don't feel legendary. Sure, we don't feel like a nobody. We just feel ordinary. Like just a typical, ordinary, everyday person who has a hard time understanding how God is going to use us to make a radical difference in his kingdom and our world. 
Moses says, me? Who, who am I? Like, why, why me? Look at what God responds to him in, in verse 12 of chapter 3. God says, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. I love Moses feels insignificant and full of insecurities. And God's response is, Moses, I will be with you. At all of our campuses this morning, maybe you feel inadequate or insignificant to make a difference in the kingdom of God. If you, if you feel that, just hear me very clearly. God says, I am with you, and because I am with you, you are significant. You have significance because of his presence, right? Like, you, you, you say, no way, there's, I, I just can't, I feel so insignificant. No, 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 you are not insignificant. You have value, you have worth, you have gifts and abilities and talents and a future and a purpose, and it is all part of God's plan for you, and you may feel insignificant. You may feel that your life is full of all of these things that make you insecure about utilizing those gifts and pursuing your passions, but let me tell you this. God looks at Moses and said, I don't care about your insecurities. I don't care about you feeling insignificant because when you have my my presence living inside of you, I make you significant because I am the almighty, the powerful God. So God calls Moses to say, Moses, I have this task for you. And here's what, I, here's what I love about Moses. Even though he feels insignificant and he's kind of voiced that to God and God's like, Moses, it's gonna be fine, I'm with you. Moses is really human in this moment. Because like when I read this, I think somebody in the Bible is going to be like, oh, you're with me? Great, let's go do this. Where's Pharaoh? Right, and I would read that and I'd be like, yeah, I don't think that's true. <laughs> but Moses is like, okay, you're going to be with me. Okay, that's, that's cool. But I still got some, some excuses of why I don't think I'm the right person for the job. And what we see is Moses kind of gives this, this back and forth conversation of several reasons or excuses why maybe God has picked the wrong person. And I just wonder this morning as we work our way through these four, how many of these excuses or insecurities have you used to fight against what God is calling you to? So check it out, verse 13. Moses said to God, he said, okay, so like you're with me, that's great. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Moses says, what should I tell them? So Moses' first excuse here, his, his first insecurity, if you are taking notes, is simple. Moses is like, okay, you want me to go, I get it, but I, I just don't know enough. I don't know enough information. I don't have the answers that I need, right? He's like, if I go to them and they're like, oh, God sent you, what's God's name? Moses is like, I can't even answer the most basic question about you. What is your name, right? Like Moses is like, I just don't know enough. And listen, maybe you have felt this before, right? Like, we're gonna get really personal into some of your business today, okay? I hope that's okay. Maybe, maybe someone has stood up on this stage before and said, you know what, like, man, maybe God is calling you to serve in kids' ministry or student ministry or go on a mission trip or lead a small group. And you feel it in your heart that, the God, that God is asking you or calling you to do that, but you immediately say, but I just don't know enough. Like, what if those children ask me, like, what happens in Revelation? 
for one, a second grader is not going to, but I just, I don't know what I believe about that. Or, or what if I go on that mission trip and somebody starts talking to me about like, like predestination and, this other, and I have no idea how to answer that. Or what if somebody tells me, where is John 3.16? And I have a blank moment and I tell them it's in Genesis 3.12. I don't know, like I just don't know the answers and I'm so confused. And we kind of step back from what God is asking us to do because we would say one day when I have the right information, one day when I have the right knowledge, one day when my faith is more mature, then I can serve, then I can go, then I can start that nonprofit, then I can do that, then I'll be ready and equipped to do that. Moses looks at God and says, I, I just don't know enough, I don't even know your name. And look at God's response in verse 14, I love this. God says to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are saying to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, we're not gonna go into all the like theological implications of the phrase I am and what God is saying there, but it's this present tense, this never stopped existing, never will stop existing, has always existed God. But I love this. What, what I want you to catch here is, is that Moses, his insecurity, his excuse is, God, I know what you're calling me to do, but I don't know the answers. And so in this moment, he asked God the question, who are you? I wonder if the very fact of God calling him to something is what made Moses even ask God who he was. What do I mean by that? You say, I don't have the answers. I just don't know enough. I can tell you story after story after story of people who said they didn't know enough, they didn't know the answers, they weren't qualified, but when they started pursuing the mission, the call that God had for them, it forced their faith to go deeper and more mature because they began to ask God more questions and seek out more answers, and the very things they were afraid of were the very things that God began to give them as he sought them. Maybe, maybe, the thing that's holding you back from growing and maturing in your faith is surrendering to the thing that God has called you to surrender to. Because in that surrender, you will grow deeper. You see, in essence, what God is doing to Moses in this moment, Moses is like, listen, I, I know what you want me to do, but I just don't know enough. And God immediately supplies his need, the name. In other words, God is saying, Moses, you don't need to know the answers because I am enough. I am enough. And I don't know what your reason is. I don't know what your excuse is, what knowledge you think you need to pursue the thing that God has called you to pursue. But I know this, God is enough. He is enough and he will not call you to something that he will not supply you with the need you have. He is faithful and good. Verse four, Moses has another excuse, right? He, Moses answered. So God gives him the answer and Moses is like, okay, like, well, now I have some more knowledge, I guess. And Moses says, but what, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and they say, the Lord did not appear to you? Like Moses, so his first excuse if you're taking notes was, I just don't know enough. His second excuse if you're taking notes is my past is just too messed up. My past is just too messed up. 
Moses in this moment is afraid that he's gonna go back to the Israelites in Egypt and say, hey guys, uh, the Lord spoke to me and the Lord came to me and here's what the Lord told me and they're gonna be like, wait a minute. Aren't you the guy who murdered someone and then fled the country? Like the Lord doesn't speak to people like that. Like when we look back on all of our fathers, Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and Joseph and all these people, the Lord doesn't speak to people who have these sinful past who don't stop and confess it and make it right. He doesn't speak to people who have this dirty sinful life and then just run and flee and hide in the wilderness forever. No, 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 your past is too sinful. God is not gonna speak to you. You are nothing more than a murderer and a mess up. And I don't know if you know this or not, but one of the greatest weapons that the enemy, Satan, or the devil uses is to attack your self-worth. You hear that whisper in the head, that voice that says, you're not ready. You don't belong there. You're not good enough. You're too messed up. You've made too many mistakes. If they really knew you, they wouldn't want you. Listen, church. If the devil is trying that hard to stop you, it's because God really wants to use you. He has a plan and a purpose. And man, I heard this quote the other day that made me kind of like jump up in my office and I'm surprised our assistant didn't come in. This quote basically just said, when Satan tries to remind you of your past, you remind him of his future. When Satan tries to remind you how dirty and sinful and broken and messed up you were, you remind him that he's been defeated and Jesus has overcome him in the grave and you are confident in the victory that you have through him. You feel like God is calling you to something? He's asking you to step up, to do something, to respond, and you say, no, 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 I'm too messed up. No, you're not too messed up. You were too messed up, but you are in Christ now. And scripture says in Christ, you are a masterpiece. You are not a mess up, you are not a failure, you are a masterpiece who is God's handiwork, his workmanship, and you are there for a reason. And so Moses gives this excuse, and I love God just answers right back, right? Like there's this back and forth here, if you haven't caught on, and we're gonna do this for a couple of times. God answers right back in verse two through five, and God says, so Moses is like, man, I, I just don't know. What if I go there? And they're like, oh, your, your past is too messed up. Verse two, God, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, Moses says. The Lord said, I love this. He says, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw the staff on the ground and it became a snake. And I love that the Bible says he ran from it. It doesn't just say it became a snake. Like I picture Moses like, oh, it's a staff. But whoa, like just running away or something, you know? Like he just, he just takes off. Like I, I, I wish we knew how far he ran. Like, like at what point did God be like, come back, dude, it's just a snake. Like, so he comes back and then he says, the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Moses is pretty bold here. If, if, if the Lord told me to grab a snake, I don't know about it. Like, uh, so Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, says the Lord, don't miss this. This is so they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. What does that mean? Moses was worried that fulfilling the call that God had for him, people would say, yeah, but your past is too messed up. So God literally gave him a miracle for proof. Church, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and have surrendered your life to him, God does not see your past as a roadblock to making a difference in his kingdom. He sees that as an opportunity to show others a miracle. What, What do I mean by that? God is looking at you saying, 
I wanna take someone just like you and put you on display for the entire world to see. And you're like, why? So that everyone around you who sees you and hears your story can say, man, there is no way that must be God. That is the power of your past. That is the power of your past. Not, God doesn't wanna use you despite your past, despite your mistakes. He wants to use you because of your mistakes, because of your past, because of your failures, because of your disobedience, because of your rebellion. He wants to take all of those things that once were and publicly proclaim them to the world that they no longer are, that you are a new person in Christ, just like that snake and the staff. You are a person who was something and you have now turned into something else and your past does not define you. The person who lives inside of you, Jesus Christ, defines you. And so Moses, again, continues, right? Uh, chapter four, verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, and I love the way he says this. Like he has all these issues, and he goes, oh, pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, which was like five minutes ago. He says, I am slow of speech and tongue. So Moses says, I don't know enough. My past is too messed up. And now Moses is like, listen, God, I just, I just feel so inadequate, you're asking me to go talk to Pharaoh, and I just am not a good talker. I, I have, most scholars would say Moses had a stutter. He was not eloquent, he was slow of speech. And Moses is like, listen, God, I get it. Like, you want me to go do this thing, to proclaim in front of Pharaoh that everyone's gonna be free, but like, I got a pretty bad stutter, God. I feel really inadequate for the thing that you are calling me to do. Listen to God's response, 11 through 13. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. In other words, Moses says, God, I have this really big weakness, and I feel inadequate. I stutter. And God looks at Moses and says, in your weakness, my strength is displayed. I will give you the words to say, and everyone will say, how can the guy who stutters proclaim so boldly and so confidently? Because in your weakness, I am strong. And I don't know about you, but I feel like in my life, personally, time and time again, I feel really inadequate at things. Man, even as a parent, I feel like it is a daily walk into uncharted territory. With how our culture is changing and how kids growing up differently, it's just, I, I feel like every single day, I, I look at the Lord and, and I say, God, I, why did you give me two boys? I feel so ill-equipped, so inadequate. I feel like I am so weak. And yet time and time again, just as God did for Moses, I feel that God tells me my strength is always greater than your weakness. 
My strength is greater than your weakness. If you feel inadequate in any way, whether that is as a follower of Jesus, as a parent, as a spouse, as an employee, as a boss, whatever it is, don't run from that. Don't be afraid from that because I want you to know that God looks at you and says, in your weakness, my strength will be displayed. Lean into the weakness. Lean in and just like Moses said, I don't have the words. I don't know what to do. And let God do something that amazes everyone around you. His strength is profound in your weakness. Verse 13, (laughs) again, last one here. Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. That's like his phrase, I guess. And he just flat out is honest here. He says, please send someone else. (laughs) Like he went through all of these excuses and then he's like, listen, God, just send someone else. Like, I really don't want to go. I don't want to do this. Like, man, just, just come on. There's got to be someone else, right? Like, he's like, Lord, I don't even live in Egypt. The land of Egypt is, is, is full of people who know the Egyptian culture. They know the lingo, like the back of their hands. They know who's in power right now. I'm in the desert. I don't even know what the Pharaoh's name is, maybe. Like, there's, there's so many other things that could be happening. There's got to be another Israelite who could do this job much easier. He already lives there. Maybe he's close to the palace. Maybe he knows a guard. There's got to be somebody, God, that you can use. Please send someone else. This would be a really big inconvenience for me. Let's just be honest. There's a little bit of Moses in all of us. You see, some of you this morning have been clapping and you're excited. And you're like, man, he's making some good points today. But if I asked you to go do what God is calling you to do, you would say, oh, I mean, like, God, just send someone else. It is much easier to celebrate the faithfulness of God and be obedient when it's inconvenient. Some of you, if I stood up and said, man, our kids ministry really needs your help right now. You're like, man, there is somebody else who's way more qualified than me. That is very inconvenient. How does God respond to this? Verse 14, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. I picture this like, uh, this is me reading into the text. So opinion here, you can disagree or whatever. I'm still right, but you can disagree with me, okay? I, I think Moses is kind of like frustrated like a child who keeps asking the, like, the question over and over. Moses like, or God's like, seriously, dude, like I've answered these questions already. Like enough is enough. And it says, so the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, what about your brother? Like, where's your brother? Where's Aaron? Leave the Levite. I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. Verse 15, and he says, you will speak to him and put words in his mouth and I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. So God kind of gets angry. He's like, enough of these questions, enough of these excuses, enough of these insecurities. He's like, fine, you can use your brother. And he says, here's what's gonna happen. He says, Moses, I'm gonna talk to you and then you're gonna talk to Aaron and then Aaron's gonna be your mouthpiece. Moses wanted out of the equation. Moses wanted someone else to be inconvenienced, someone else to do the job, someone else to fulfill the calling. But God looks at him and says, Moses, it's not that easy. I will give you a helper. I will give you a teammate, but you are still a part of my plan. You are still included in my plan. And to all of us at every campus this morning, I want you to hear this very, very clearly. God's plan and salvation history for this moment and this time and all the history of the world and all the places you could be living and all the giftings you could have, his plan includes 
you. There are no bench warmers in the kingdom of God. There are no people who ride the sidelines. God's plan includes you. What is God calling you to do? What is he asking you that step of faith to take? Is it to go on a mission trip for the very first time in your life? But every time it happens, you have an insecurity or an excuse of why you shouldn't. God's plan includes you. Maybe it's to, to serve in a local nonprofit in your community wherever you happen to live. You have a a burden for foster care or homelessness or whatever the passion might be and your excuses and your insecurities have always been, I just don't know enough. I I don't feel like I have the right knowledge and it's just not me, just just send someone else and I'll I'll just write a check and make it okay. No, 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 God's plan includes you. Maybe it's to serve here at the Mount in whatever capacity you feel the Lord poking you and nudging you and pulling you to. You see, so many of us, we want to sit on the sidelines, waiting on other people what God has placed in us to do. And listen, here's what what amazes me. The very things that bother you probably bother you for a reason, right? Like, Like if you're sitting around going, man, our world's just messed up and someone really needs to help these teenagers understand what it means to live for God. Somebody needs to fix that. Or man, every time I pull into the parking lot at church, the guys directing traffic have me going all over the place. Somebody needs to fix that. There's a much better system that could work instead. Or man, every time I come in late for worship, it feels like I can never find a seat and the ushers I can never find. Somebody needs to fix that. Or man, every time I drive down to that certain area of town and I see those homeless people, somebody needs to fix that. What if you are God's somebody? What if you, the very thing that frustrates you, the very thing that stirs your heart is the very thing that God is saying, my plan includes you. What's God calling you to do? Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful for stories like Moses, for people who are so human and wrestle with the emotions of obedience and surrender. God, I pray that each and every one of us, if we have surrendered our lives to you in the midst of that wrestling and that surrendering, that you would work through our insecurities and through our excuses. God, I pray that we would be people who obediently and willingly Stand up when you tap us on the shoulder with a calling. Maybe you're here today as we continue praying. And you would say, Adam, man, here's the reality for me, though. I am messed up. Maybe you wouldn't use that language or that word, but you would say, man, I just, my life has not been good. It's been about me, my wants, my desires, my selfishness. Let me just give you some good news today. 2,000 years ago, a guy by the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth and he lived this perfectly sinless, 
unselfish life for you. So that one day, maybe today, you could respond to him in faith. You could surrender your life to him. You could repent and turn from making it all about you and you could turn to him and he would invade your heart and not just fix you, but make you a completely new person whose desires are changed for him, whose will is changed for him to where you want to live for him forever, for all of eternity and to live this abundant life that he has called you to live. And it is the greatest decision you will ever make and it is the greatest joy you will ever experience experience, and maybe you're here today, whether you're at a, a physical campus or online, and you want to make that decision for the very first time, here's what I want you to do. Just in this moment, just a boldness about you, would you just, wherever you are, slip up your hand, surrendering, God, I want to surrender my life to you for the very first time. If your hand is raised, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Father, I am a sinner, and I need your forgiveness. Jesus, come into my life. Make me new. Be my king. Be my Lord. Today I repent. I turn and run to you for forgiveness. And all God's people said, amen.